Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Last Journey Podcast. Today is going to be a little bit of a different episode. If you know me personally, you know I, I'm not one of those people that likes to be confrontational on purpose on social media. I know that it can really drum up some like extra views, or it can make you know people comment under your stuff. Like I like to be Switzerland in a sense. Like I like to stay neutral, but I like to, um, I always have an opinion on something. So, um, if you're going to ask me, I'm going to give you my two cents about it, but I'm not necessarily, you know, going to vent or put myself out there in any kind of way that might drum up some negative comments. And, um, I ended up getting worked up about something the other day and I I posted something on my Instagram. Um, most of the feedback I would say was positive. I maybe got like one, you know, one message that I totally like, understood where she was coming from and gave her a nice response and everything. But for the most part, I don't like to drum up controversy. And I think that I'm in a, um, a funny position now where usually when I do say something, people just kind of take it and they're like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. Um, and so a lot of people don't try to get controversial with me, but, um, I actually do think that there's been some things floating around on the internet. And as somebody who's been in the industry for, you know, 10 years now, I, I feel like, um, I just want to call out some of these things, uh, things that I think are silly things that I think maybe don't make sense in the greater picture of things. And one of the things that I notice in our industry too, is like when these trends pop up and when, you know, you see one person kind of make this comment and then you see a bunch of other people kind of adopting that and making the same types of videos and, every time I see them, I'm just like, no, that's not right. (laughs) So I'm going to give you my two cents on why I don't necessarily agree with these uh, trendy lash advice topics. And you can be the judge yourself and figure out what you feel um, is right to you. But this is my opinion on different subjects. All right, let's get into it. So the first one that I really don't agree with, and I, I do have to admit that this one really gets me going is when people say that you shouldn't have your employees market for your business. So a lot of times the um, people are being told that in salons and as salon owners with employees that you have to be the one to take on all the marketing yourself. Um, They're saying that, you know, maybe it's to keep everything cohesive. Maybe they're not trusting their employees. Maybe they don't want to put that extra work on the employee's plate Um, I have to say, I do not agree with that at all. In the least, I think that businesses thrive when their teams are united in what the brand messaging is, um, when they're all actively posting and showing what they're passionate about and showing that they love the place that they work at. I think there is nothing wrong with putting all of that positive energy out into the universe and getting it back tenfold. I, um, you know, I have a team of 14 artists and we all market like, yeah, some more than others. Some have a natural knack for it. Some it's a little bit harder for others, but I feel like the fact that we do, it really helps to widen and like cast out, you know, our net. Because if you think about just me and and my social media director marketing, um, you know, we have our net, but then when you take 14 people and they have their nets and then their friends are sharing things with their friends, it 
just multiply so much faster. And I think that that is a really big reason why we do so well. You know, I don't have a team of professionally trained social media experts, but we do give them advice and we do incentivize them to post, not in a way of like, oh, we're going to, you know, pay you extra money for making these posts. That never goes over well, but um, by running contests, content contests, different things to get creative, to get them in the mindset of um, making fun content and um, making sure that they get really good prizes out of that if they're actually doing the work. So I have to say, I 1000% do not believe that you shouldn't have your team market. Now, what are some guidelines with this? So you do want to make sure that you're sharing that with them. Um, You want to make sure that you have the mission and vision of your business clearly defined and what your brand voice looks like. You know, are we, you know, for instance, in my business, I do not allow any negative talk about clients. We are, uh, you know, we're only positive. We're only uplifting to our clients. We're not complaining and posting, you know, oh, I had another no show. Um, Oh, going to go charge this card. Like we don't do any of that. We try to keep it as professional as possible. We, um, we don't curse on, um, on social media. We don't reshare things that might make a client feel bad. Um, I had one, employee a long time ago. Um, she was with me very, very briefly. She didn't work out, but, um, I had her actually post one day. Um, I guess a client had come in and they were, they had caffeine before getting their lashes done and their, their eyes were just, you know, bouncing up and down. And the employee actually recorded the client's eyes bouncing and wrote this nasty message on the story. Like, you know, this is why you shouldn't drink caffeine before your appointment. I didn't know about this until that client actually went and told a friend of mine what happened. And then that friend of mine ended up sharing it with me. So, you know, obviously that was an immediate write up for the employee. She really didn't end up staying that long thereafter. But it's like, why, you know, you you know that as a business owner, that is not a good look for your business. That's not what we want to put out there as our branding message. So you do have to communicate the do's and don'ts with your team. But for the most part, I literally do not have any issues with our marketing. And, you know, the employees do work off of commission. So they are incentivized by, um, you know, working hard to fill their own books while I'm working and they, and they know that I'm working my butt off trying to get them clients too, trying to market. We, we do everything that we can, you know, through email marketing and, and making sure that we're keeping things fun and interesting for the clients. And, um, they know that their effort doesn't necessarily have to match my effort, but that if we all work together as a team, it's only going to help the greater good of, of the whole business and of their paychecks too. So, that is how I feel about that. Um, also, there's been something going around um, lately about people charging the same price for all sets. Now, hear me out on this because I do really feel like if you're a solo artist and that is the that is like what you see for your business plan and it's just you, you are trying to scale back a little bit from having to be with clients one-on-one um, all the time and you just want to keep it as simple as possible so that One day you can focus on other things, whether it be online education, education in general, um, or scaling your business in different ways. If you as an individual artist are looking to scale back your time, then yeah, maybe charging the same price for every set might work out because the problem that I foresee with this happening is, okay, we know that a classic set does not take as long as a full volume set 
right? So when I'm looking at the business, I'm looking at it in a sense of what does it cost to operate the business per hour, um, per minute? What is it taking um, when you know we lose an hour because a client doesn't show up for their appointment? I feel like you ultimately should protect your books in the same way. Yes, if a client is coming in and they're booking, um, let's just say you book out three hours for them, two and a half hours, maybe if you're really fast for a full volume set and they come in and they're like, oh, I just want a classic today. Well, you're losing out an hour to an hour and a half. And in one day that might be great. And as a solo business owner, you might think, oh, now I can work on the, on batching social media. Now I can work on this. And you can have things lined up for you that maybe you've been putting off that you can finish in that hour and a half. But me personally, I like to know what I'm doing with my time, right? I like to know, does this person want a you know, a three hour set or do they want a two hour set? Because I want to be able to pre-plan that time out so that I know what I'm doing and I, I can do it efficiently. Now, when it comes to having a team, this really does not work. So I want to make sure that if you're hearing this online, that you're not thinking that you can do this yourself if you have a team, because again, time is money. And especially when it comes to your team, can you imagine having, you know, even five employees and in a certain day you have maybe three full sets and all three of those full sets are booked out for three hours and then you end up only booking out um, and you end up only booking out a classic set. Well, that's an additional three hours that you could that you lost that you could have made back with other services. So, um, you know, you have artists that are going to be faster than others. So it really doesn't work there, too. But at, in in the grand scheme of things, it's like when you're open and you're operating, you want to be able to make sure that that time isn't wasted. And over the course of a month, you know, especially in a, you know, in a business like mine where we have 14 people, but I can promise you this is any business where it's going to, you're, you're going to lose people, um, or you're going to lose out on money if you're only charging for um, one press price for all sets. The other thing that's really important when it comes to trying to attract clientele. So if you're trying to lose clientele in a sense, like I said, scale back, then yeah, charging, you know, the highest price that you could possibly offer for one set might make sense. But if you are a salon and most salons in most cases are always still trying to fill the books of their employees, right? We don't want to deter people from saying, you know, well, I really only want a classic set. So, you know, I don't necessarily want to pay this full price for a volume set. Like to them, it's not the same in their eyes. Like they're not getting the same value. That could be a really good argument. But um, on the other sense, it then becomes, do I want to go here for a set or do I not? Um, because you have this, let's say you're pricing out $300 for a three hour set on the higher end, somebody might not want to pay for a class $300 for a classic set, but like now you just lost somebody possibly coming into your business and booking with you. Uh, on the other hand with that, um, going along with that is something called price anchoring. So I have always thought about my business in a sense of knowing that I wanted to grow it bigger, knowing that I wanted to add additional employees and that I never really wanted to have to turn people away. I also know the power of pricing properly for my overhead and everything like that. But I know the base amount of like, okay, what 
what do I need to bring in to be able to afford to pay my employees, to be able to afford to pay um, all of the overhead, right? And let's just say I make a certain set or a certain level in my case in the business. I have different levels of artistry that allow for different entry points of different clientele. So now I'm not just marketing to one specific client that maybe can afford to throw away, um, I shouldn't say throw away, but maybe they can afford to, um, you know, pay $300 for a classic set of lashes. But on the other hand, if I still am marketing for a good clientele, like there are so many great clients that maybe want to get into your business at that lower price point. And then over time, they you build trust with them. They then maybe switch from a classic set to an angel set or a hybrid set. And then maybe down the road, they start getting volume um, volume fills. And over time, you're increasing the lifetime value of that client. It is a lot easier to keep a client and have them spend more money over time than it is to attract a new client. And if you automatically are coming at them with this higher price point and you're not necessarily booked out enough to have that demand, it might cause a little bit of an issue. All right. So then um, the other thing that has kind of been um, getting on me lately is I've seen a lot of people glorifying having um, too many revenue streams to even count. So it's like becoming some type of contest, like, well, how many revenue streams do you have? Oh, I have eight. Oh, well, I have eight, but you know, I'm adding two more. I can tell you from experience and how I grew my business into, you know, a, a high seven figure business is not because I had my hand in eight or nine different baskets is because I had tunnel vision in making my my brand and my beauty business the strongest salon I could possibly make it. Yes, I had, you know, my my two different salons, which technically count as two different revenue streams. We have different things flowing into there, um, you know, based on the type of services that we're doing and how we're pulling in money from retail and everything like that. But it's not really a game to sit there and count like, okay, I have this revenue stream from retail and this, that, and the other. It's like, how can you make your your main thing as big and as prosperous and as profitable as possible? And then take that energy, like once you've really mastered that, take that energy and figure out what else you want to do. I think the beauty of this industry is, you know, we, we are creatives. And if you are a business owner and you have that mindset of, you know, what's next and maybe doing the same thing bores you, um, you know, I, I'm personally this way, like I get stagnant after a certain amount of time, I have to turn to another project, but I didn't really do that until I really felt super secure in the fact that, you know, my businesses were already bringing in this revenue and I already made this business as, um, or working to make this business as profit profitable as possible over the course of the last nine years. And then it's like, okay, now that I've mastered that, what's next? Then I can get into online education. Then I can focus on, you know, creating an education space for, um, you know, local estheticians in our area. I have the time to do that because I already mastered that one thing. I can promise you, I wouldn't have gotten there as fast as I did if I had had, if I'd been trying to fill eight or nine different buckets at one time, you know, take that energy and instead of spreading it out all of these different ways, take it and funnel it into that main thing. That's not to say you can't be working on some different projects on the side, but I want the main focus of your energy to be to build the main thing you want to be known for. 
And then everything else will fall into place. It will just become that much easier because now, you know, you probably have a team helping you to run this. You probably can, you know how to hire. You can start a new project and make sure that you put all of the things in place to run that. And there are people who are really, really good at that. I do consider myself one of those people, but it wasn't until, you know, I hit that that mark of like, okay, I've, I've done this, what's next, before I really started spreading my energy out and testing the waters on different things. So um, my point in saying this is not that you have to follow in my footsteps, but is not to um, think any less of yourself if you don't have eight or nine different revenue streams. If you haven't really solidified your main revenue stream, don't be focused on all of these other things. It's not a race, it's not a contest. Pour your energy into really making that one thing very super special. All right, and lastly, um, I kind of touched on it briefly just now about like how I ended up going the online educator route. There are a lot of people who are popping up now and they're seeing this as a way to make quick, easy money. And um, I just wanna throw it out there that um, while I do feel like everybody has some kind of value that they can give, not everybody should be an online educator. Not everybody should go the online educator route. You have to actually be a good educator. It has to come to you naturally and you have to know what you're talking about. Um, I have seen a lot of smoke and mirrors. I've seen a lot of people give very strong opinions on things that they don't necessarily have the experience with. And so, you know, you see a lot of people who have been burned by online educators coming out and speaking and saying, hey, make sure that you vet whoever you're hiring as a mentor. Make sure that they are walking in the shoes for, you know, that you want to be in for at least a while and they have a track record of helping others. Yeah, you know, when you first get started, you might not have a track record of helping others in the literal sense of being, you know, paid for consulting and that's okay. Everybody starts somewhere. But what I don't like to see is everybody just out there trying to make a quick buck um, with these online products or as an online educator, I've even been seeing this crazy um, MLM online course thing where, you know, you can sell the rights and it's like, I'm going to teach you how to create an online course. I know of somebody in the online space. I actually bought her course back when I was, um, trying to get into this space. And I paid a lot of money to take her online course that I didn't feel was really like what I needed, right? Like I still needed to kind of do my own research and like figure out what works and what doesn't work. And it took about a, a year to really learn the whole game of everything before I was able to put out products that had actually made money and, and helped people and people were getting the value that they were paying for. And um, so now there's this, you know, MLM thing out where people are saying, hey, I, you know, I have this course. You All you have to do is buy this course on how to create a course and then you can sell it to other people. And then it doesn't become a game of actually helping people or wanting to help people. It just becomes a game of making money. And I'm, I'm just not really into that. Um, so I do want you to focus on different ways that maybe you might be pulled to grow. You know, if you are a solo artist now, if you are a business owner um, and you do have employees, like it's always good to look at your next step, not even just your next step now, but your next step, like where do you want to be in five years? Um, but if you're not pulled to actually help people in the online world and to be an educator, you don't necessarily have to go that route. I just want to throw it out there that I feel like, um, you know, I feel like that the people that are going to be in that space, the people that should be in that space are the people who actually, um, you know, are passionate 
about it too. So don't feel like you have to create something online or have a digital ebook or digital whatever. Don't just put it out there unless you're gonna give it your all and it's because you want to do it, not just to make money. So I hope that, um, I hope that, clears up anything. Um, not that you guys have been losing sleep over my opinions on things, but, um, I just felt a couple of things. I've been keeping a running list of things that I've seen and wanted to touch on. And, um, I'd love to hear your thoughts about it too. So feel free to hit me up on Instagram, um, leave a comment and I can't wait to see you next time on the last journey podcast.